On this episode of Oopsology, we welcome Greg Goods, host of On The Spot Podcast, to discuss everything James Harden. We get his insight regarding how the trade will affect the Houston Rockets and the Brooklyn Nets. We also get his thoughts on how the league has handled COVID. Then Matt and Justin give their thoughts on the James Harden trade, discuss trending teams, the NBA postponing games, and Charles Barkley's comments on athletes getting the vaccine first over regular citizens. And now, Greg Goods. He is the host of the On The Spot podcast. Um, we have the pleasure in welcoming Greg Goods onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Greg? Man, I'm doing great, man. Doing great. Um, it's, it's not that cold in Houston, but we'll be all right. Yeah, same thing here. Pretty dry weather. Um, kind of avoid all the typical winter storms. But there's kind of like a storm brewing in the NBA. And um, since you're in the Houston area and since you have a lot of knowledge regarding the Houston Rockets, um, this is the perfect time to have you on just regarding this James Harden trade. So I guess I kind of want to get your overall opinions on James Harden as a whole, like as a player and what, what you're like – before this trade happened, what were your overall feelings regarding him with the Houston Rockets? As he seems to be two sides of what's going on. Either one, it's the aspect of him just being a choker and him being extremely overrated, or him not necessarily having the right pieces around him and him pretty much being a superstar player, but things haven't broke his way. Which which um, side of the fence do you lie on? Uh I can't. I can't say he's a choker. I mean, I've been, I've been somebody that's been supporting James Harden for eight years. Um, you look at any NBA superstar. Um, you can't name me one that's been to the playoffs every time and put their their team in the playoffs every every time. So I can't call him necessarily a choker. He's had bad playoff moments for sure. Don't get me wrong. Um, but um, he has to understand. That he has to take this accountability as well. I think there's there's the line. It can't go too far. Um, I, I'm going to go right in the middle with it. Um, he was a part of every process of, of every free agent signing, every trade deal. Um, he was able to pick his players. I just think it comes down to that James Harden, if he wants to win the championship, he just can't He can't be the number one option. He can't yeah. bring it. I think that's just what it is. He's, he's just a really, really good second option. I think people just have to realize that. And he, he did try his best. Um, so, um no breakup in, in, in the NBA is going to be great. It's never going to be a smooth thing with him. Um, he could have handled it better, but, hey, he's in a different situation. We got things back. But it's, it's crazy. The, the whole and, – and I have optimism. When he first got traded – when he first heard the trades and I heard about Christian Wood, I knew Christian Wood was going to be good, and I knew he's never had a big man like that before. So I was like, yo, if he got on like an eight-game win streak or something, like it may – it may help, but with all the COVID stuff happening, it, it just didn't work out. And, and, and the Lakers, that Lakers game was pretty much nail in the coffin and pretty much how he felt. Um, but, man, even with the trades, um, had Brooklyn waited an additional 10 minutes, James Harden would be a, a Philadelphia 76ers. Um, so it was crazy how to the last minute, because I, I was almost I was almost convinced that Ben Simmons was coming here. Um, yeah. But that picks and, and everything. So well, I, I'm really like – the situation that we in, we, uh, I, I think we got enough back. And do you think with just Harden in general that have a town really? Um, I guess I guess I want to ask how did how did the city of Houston embrace him? Um, did they really like appreciate him while he was there, or do you think it was a lot of this impatience in terms of the lack of playoff success? Like when is this dude finally going to take take you all to the promised land, and, and nothing's happening? Um, how did the city feel towards him? We loved him. Yeah. We we loved him like crazy. He was he was ours because um, it's something about when other people 
you know, pretty much hate or not, you know, hate, but just dislike all over the media. It's like, oh, I mean, James Harden is unwatchable. He travels, all that other stuff that you see from outside the media. We gravitated towards it and we were just like, hey, like, yo, this is, we love things that are hated. You know, look at the Astros. We love them because everybody else hates them right now. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things where uh, we was riding with him even when the outside media was just like, yo, we're, he's not going to be able to win like that. And he's like, yo, watch it. You know, we always come back to the Chris Paul hamstring injury. We always bring that up. And, um, yeah, we we love him. And we pretty much almost kind of blamed every free agent. We always kind of mm-hmm. like how we, we blame Chris Paul. Well, not blame him, but we – said Chris Paul was the reason, even though James Harden, if he really was that dude, he could have got it done because we were up 10 points in that game in game seven. Um, but we go back to Chris Paul. We go to Russell Westbrook just not gelling. When, it, you know, when in actuality, you know, he has to take some of his blame too. Um, but we love him, definitely. Greg, are you happy with um, the the haul that Houston got for James Harden? I mean, usually, kind of traditionally, we we think of these big, massive megastar trades as the team that gets that big name is the team that wins the trade. For myself, I, I'm not so sure because of everything that Brooklyn had to give up to get him. I mean, they, they give up not only their future in terms of those draft picks, but they also give up that depth that they were so credited for our are you do you see it that same way on the Brooklyn side and then also on the Houston end of things? Are you happy with what the Rockets were able to get given that they didn't want to give him up but ultimately had to? Yeah, um, from a Rocket standpoint, they did a good job. Shout out to Raphael Stone. There was a lot of question marks when Daryl uh, Morey left on if he was the dude, if he was going to be that guy. Um, I think because we are in a culture shift with the Houston Rockets. I'm really proud that our organization kind of stand packed and just didn't give him up for pennies because he just wanted out. Um, at first, I was really rooting for for um, for I was really I was really rooting for Philadelphia more at at the time because I was looking at that young star and Ben Simmons and he can build and rapport with Christian Wood and we can also kind of win now without you know having a horrible kind of be- rebuild. But after the Brooklyn Nets thing, we flipped Karis LeVert for Victor Oladipo, and we got, you know, eight picks out of it, you know, four picks and then four pick swaps. I looked at it like, yo, we, we got, you know, we got a lot. And normally it's it's the other way around. Like, okay, whoever has a star player, that's who really won that trade. But I think they did a good job um, with the circumstances. Now with Brooklyn, um, this is the first time I've ever seen a four-team de- trade deal like that. I mean, I've seen three teams before. It's kind of out of the ordinary. Um, I it was a little disappointed that they got rid of Jared Allen in the process. I thought that was a huge blow. I'm a huge Jared Allen fan. Yeah. Um, and you get rid of Karis LeVert. So, I mean, unless you really know what Kyrie Irving is going to do, me personally, if I'm Brooklyn, um, you can use Kyrie off the ball. But I would use – I would shop Kyrie for assets. I, I would do and try to read – because I don't know who else you, who you have on your bench. I mean, you have Joe Harris – um, you know, DeAndre Jordan is a big, but you know, he's not like Jared Allen. So um it's just a matter, it's just imagine uh, a matter of how they're gonna set things up um in, in Brooklyn. Um but based off of the game last night, they'll be okay. Um uh, they'll be fine. I think they can come out the east for sure. But when it comes to playing the Lakers in the in the finals, I don't think they have that depth like like the Lakers do. So um it'll be interesting. But I would definitely shout Kyrie. Yeah, and I would say other than KD on that roster, I mean, who's really that to play playoff defense. You know, and of course, if KD's playing harder on defense, you know, he's 
probably going to be able to give a little bit less on offense, which, I mean, they have plenty of that. Um, wh- where would you say if you had to just kind of, you know, get out your crystal ball and predict, I mean, how, how far along is Houston on their rebuild? Um, you know, the, the Celtics come to mind to me when they moved on from their big three of, you know, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, and Kevin Garnett, um, and got a lot of assets for those three pieces. Um, you know, it's, it's not a perfect analogy, certainly, but where do you think Houston is, you know, kind of um, on, on a range of, like, playoff contender to starting from scratch? Um, I think the beauty in this one is that uh, we don't, the way we got a haul back, we don't necessarily have to start from scratch, and we don't have to necessarily be bad to utilize these picks because these are none of these are our picks. I mean, Daryl Morey traded all of our picks away. So no matter how good or bad it is, our picks don't change because of that. Um, so we can use those picks. I mean, we've been notorious for not using our picks, um, trading them for bigger players. Um, and I think there was like there's always been a big narrative in Houston that uh, we don't draft well. We're not a good drafting team. And I, I beg to differ on that. I just think that our first round and our second round picks are both developmental picks because they're not in lottery. You know, people kind of forget. I mean, Clint Capella came out in the second round and you developed him, but you didn't wait long enough for Montrez Harrell to develop. You did not wait long enough for, for one of the Morris twins, which we drafted a while back, to fully develop. They need that time to develop, and we're um, going off of James Harden's timeline to win a championship. So, of course, you're going to flip those players to get somebody like Chris Paul anyway. Uh, but I think, honestly, we're one or two, you know, pieces away. I think we're in playoff contention. I think we can make the playoffs this season uh, with John Wall and Christian Wood and, and Victor Oladipo because our, our bench is looking great. I mean, we're only been playing eight um, eight people at a time right now because John Wall is um, kind of out right now. But they're out, they're out here to um, beat the San Antonio squad that's fully loaded. Um, so that's, that's very encouraging as a second unit team being able to do that. Um, so I, I, I think Championship-wise, we're, we're a ways. We're a ways to go, but we're definitely in playoff contention. I think we're one piece or maybe even two pieces away from competing back from the championship. And I, I don't think that's going to take long either. I don't think it's going to take Boston Celtics long either, maybe two or three seasons. What do you make of the Kyrie Irving situation? It, it seems like I want to like sympathize with him as best as possible in terms of, you know, hey, mental health is something serious uh, regarding everybody in life. However, like there's that – you track his career, he's been in every type of scenario to succeed. He's had LeBron James. He's had his own team with Boston. He was the man in Brooklyn. He got Kevin Durant. It seems nothing's good for this guy. So, like you said, it seems like it's just best to cut bait in the straight assets. But from a Kyrie Irving perspective, what's left for this guy to succeed in this league? He's super talented. I love watching him. But I think as a teammate and as a person who related to basketball I guess, issues, because I think off the court, we know about his charitable um, donations he's made and about how he's helped the WNBA and et cetera. But just on the court, dealing with teams, he just doesn't mesh with anything. So my question is, what do you think his future is in the league? Because it seems like he's put in all these different places to succeed. And besides Cleveland, it just seems there's issues all the way around. With Kyrie, um, I mean, even when he first left Cleveland, he said he wanted his own team. And it's, I don't know, it's just, it's really unfortunate because every time he starts in a new situation, he's not established there long enough to kind of like be a part of that team. I think there's times, even in Boston, 
where it's just like he starts off very high with those first five games and then something happens, injuries, whatever. And then you realize the second unit, the first unit of that team, they're galvanizing, they're doing well. And then all of a sudden it's just kind of like, yeah, Kyrie can elevate us, um, but we don't necessarily need Kyrie. And I think Kyrie wants to be in a situation where he's needed, not necessarily something that he wants to add to, uh, which is kind of what made, you know, Terry Rozier and all these other, you know, pieces. And and now we're here in Brooklyn. And now that you have James Harden here, his first game, he drops a 30-point triple-double. Yep. Kevin Durant gives you 42 points. Yep. And now it's just like, yeah, we don't really need you, Kyrie, uh, but we would love you to help elevate us. And it's just a matter of how his ego is going to work. And I don't think Kyrie really knows what he wants out of this league at, at this point. Because if he did, then he, he, he would already know. Um, so, I mean, I think Kyrie, in hindsight, made this trade available for James Harden. I think if Kyrie is at these games, I don't think Brooklyn gives up as much as they want and as much as they're willing to offer because they see Kyrie and KD. Because that's a good – I mean, even in the start of the, the, the season, they were doing well. Um, so – if he's here consistently, not missing any games, I don't think they pull that trigger. And I think Philadelphia is the the stronger contender uh, for James Harden. So, yeah, it, it's kind of up to, to Kyrie at this point and what he wants to do. What do you make of that team as a whole? I mean, we've never seen three players with that much of, you know, using that much usage rate. So, I mean, we saw with Golden State somewhat, but with these three guys, it's just – in my mind, I'm just trying to really fathom guys that really need the ball and with like combustible egos. I don't know if you're going to have the same scenario with Golden State, where it seems like Clay and um, Steph were able to somewhat sacrifice, and everybody worked for the common good as well. The culture was really solid in Golden State, along with Steve Kerr. Well, in this situation, you have a first-year coach with Steve Nash. Um, it just seems like a very rocky situation. So. I, I guess I want to ask, do you see it being, despite their depth issues, which they pretty much traded away all of that, um, as three of them as, as a cohesive unit, do you see them being immediately successful? Like you mentioned, like you saw the performance of James Harden and Kevin Durant, but adding Kyrie Irving into that mix after you know 20 games or so, do you see them being a cohesive fit basketball-wise on the court, or do you see them having some chemistry problems? Um, I don't necessarily – and, oh, well, it all goes down to the leadership of Kevin Durant because he's that he's that leader of that team. And I think with James Harden, what we missed in Houston was that there was nobody to really challenge James because nobody was better or even at his level. So the the leadership that Chris Paul had, I mean, James Harden kind of shrugged it off because he's like, well, you're not better than me. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Um, in this situation, this is not his team. He's here to help. So he has a different mindset to it. So I know James Harden is going to be able to adjust well. Because he's used to, he's already played with Kevin Durant before. Um, with Kyrie, um, in a way, he's he knows how to play off ball because he, he was playing with LeBron. So it should, in hindsight, it should be able to gel and, and mesh together. It just depends on the ego. And I'm not necessarily worried about the regular season. I'm just worried more about the playoffs where you're in a seven-game series and, you know, it's time to adjust. And when things are not working or that first plan is not working, what does plan number two look like? Uh, when it's time for for a last second shot, who are you going to get mad when Kyrie just waves you off and he wants to do it himself? You know, it's just one of those things. So um, I think it'll be you. You'll see immediate success in regular season for sure because they're talented enough to get through it. Um, but I'm not necessarily looking at anything outside of the, the Eastern Conference Finals and the Finals for these people. 
um, because if they don't make it there, then it's a bust. It's, it, it was it was not you know for what you gave up. It's a bust. Can you um, going back to the Houston side of things? Can you give us some thoughts about your initial impressions of Coach Silas? I know it's pretty much been chaos. I mean, nothing but chaos to start the year. Uh, but now, you know, in my opinion, from the coaching side of things, I mean, it kind of moves into a nice situation for him in terms of expectations are now super low. Once James Harden is gone, he can kind of really put his imprint on this roster and maybe, you know, hopefully do more of the things that he wanted to do without as much pressure as when James Harden was there. Can, can you give us your just kind of initial thoughts of him as a coach? And I know we don't have a whole lot of data on that, really. Yeah, I like I, I really enjoy Steven Silas. I like the hire. He was really supposed to be here. Um, he was the he was the runner up candidate in 2016. He was supposed to get the job. But then Mike D'Antoni came through. And um, long story short, that that's where it became. But his development, like his player development style is, is phenomenal. Uh, I like the culture that he is attempting to change. Um, and even when James Harden was here, Russell Westbrook was here because they both signed up. Off, they both signed off on those coach on that coach. Um, it's just a matter of he was very transparent, very straightforward. Um, he wasn't sugarcoating anything, and I I just enjoy seeing him because I know he's he's good with the young with the young people. Like I know he's good with young guards and, and young bigs, young players in general. Um, so I I think this it's not going to take long. Um, for Steven Silas to make this team successful because, I mean, he's been in the league for 20-plus years. Um, we have a great coaching staff. I, I really do. I really do like what we have. All he needs is just probably, like, one more young star piece, and, you know, the rest is, is history. I, I think he's going to be very successful. Greg, I want to ask you, just as a fan, what is your opinion of how um, the NBA has handled COVID, not only from just a player safety perspective, but just you as just a viewer watching games um, every day, just because, you know, we talked to journalists and they seem kind of um, depressed <laughs> going to this game without any fans and just the zoom interviews. It just seems like there's a lot of frustration going on and not a lot of um, ways of, rectifying the issues not to mention the way the nba has handled their safety issues with some other players regarding COVID. there's i i've seen online some podcasts that stop covering the nba just because you know they're really unhappy with how the league has you know handled the pandemic so far so in your mind what, what are your thoughts in terms of how the season has progressed regarding the blowouts and just just your overall impressions of how the season's played out um i think the nba has been doing the best that they can um given the circumstances I try not to fret and, and get angry at the NBA because I remember four months where there was no sports at all. And I kind of anytime I get like a little impatient or a little complacent about what's going on, I think about I think back to what my what my month of April, May and June was. And that was horrible. And I was just like, yo, put something on. You know what I mean? Put anything on golf, something. So um, I think they were doing great. Um, of course, when you're not in the bubble. It's just gonna. It's, you're gonna have cases. You're gonna have COVID thing, different flare-ups. I just think once the playoff starts, it needs to go back into that bubble. And that's what I was kind of confused on with the NFL on uh, why they chose not to do a bubble, you know, a bubble kind of ordeal. Because the last thing you know you want to see is 
you know, I know the Ravens just lost, but if the Ravens and the Chiefs play in the AFC Championships and, and, and Lamar and, and, and Patrick Mahomes both have COVID, yeah. you're coming out with RG3 and whoever they got out. You know, that's just bad for business. So I would hope that they would put it in a bubble when it's time for playoff contention and whatnot. But they're, they're just doing what they can. I think they're doing the best job possible. Uh, so I, I try not to harp on it. But me as a media person having to interview and do Zoom stuff, it's a blessing and a curse. Like, of course, um, you want to be there. But at the same time, it's cool asking questions to Christian Wood on in, in your bed, <laughs> just chilling <laughs> on the couch sometimes. So, I mean, give or take. And what do you think from, like, this a fan perspective, just watching the games? I mean, just having piped in fan noise. I know some people are a fan of that. Some people just think it's kind of whack. Um and just the presentation as a whole, I know Golden State, I think they're the only arena to have digital fans like the bubble. Um, and a lot of other arenas are not really incorporating that. So, so what are your thoughts in terms of just watching the games? You know? Well, I, I, I will say with the, at least I can't speak for other teams, but Houston, we, we started bringing in fans and there's a thing oh. now. Okay. Um, so like, it's just really social distance, you know, out the distance, but there's even some, People that are like, you know, they had courtside seats. They're just a little bit further away. Um, so there's still a little bit of atmosphere. Of course, it's not going to be fully packed and, and whatnot. But um, I, 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 me personally, because I'm only I'm watching a whole bunch of Rockets games. From a Rockets standpoint, it, it seems fine to me. Um, even with the pumped up noise, it's cool. I don't really, as long as the broadcasters are fine. You know what I mean? As long as the broadcasters don't sound like they're on Zoom or anything like that, as, as long as that's cool and I still get to see Mark Jackson or whoever's yeah. Van Gundy, if they're there and there's not any, like, interns doing whatever sure. they're doing, I'm good. But the fan noise, that's yeah, it's fine. Well, Greg, thank you very much for uh, joining us on, on a, this uh, Sunday afternoon to talk some hoops with us. Um, please plug your social media, anything you're working on that a listener should uh, pay attention to. I uh, yes. Um, just dropped the episode, I think not yesterday or two days ago. Um, go check that out on all of my social media accounts at OTS Network on the Spot Podcast, where we call random people um, about the hottest topics um, across um, all platforms, all entertaining sports, music, and entertainment. Um, just if you're interested, DM me. We can talk sports, hoops, whatever, anything like that. Awesome, Greg. Uh, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it, man. I mean, no problem. Okay. I have a Welcome to another episode of Hoosology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? What's up, Justin? I have had a really fun weekend. I, inspired by our interview with Chris Manning, which you guys can check out on the podcast feed or on YouTube, I downloaded NBA 2K20 mobile. I know it's been a while. It's been like nine months since that was updated. Didn't matter. Still got my career started a little bit this weekend. Played through that a bit. It's you know, it's a little clunky on mobile. And I know some people will come at me like Christian Wood came at Shaq this week and call me a casual, but Hey, <laughs> getting a little bit of gaming in here and there. Can't really spend a ton of time on it. Yeah. Anyway, that was a mouthful. How are you doing? Good, man. Um, I got a question regarding that. So you didn't get NBA 2K21? They don't, do they have that or no? For mobile? I didn't see it in the app store. Um, okay. I, hmm. I looked for it. Um, okay. So I know 2K21's out on consoles. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, but I guess maybe the, the mobile game is coming later. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, we, we can at Chris Spanning about that. No, I'm right. just kidding. He hates right. that. <laughs> <laughs> he hates, he wants the devs to take those questions. Not him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I, I just think with mobile games, I, my, with the way I, 
I don't know, get into gaming, it's either like PC or a console, like a phone. I just can't really get into it. Just, just not my thing, but I know it's super popular. So it's tough. Yeah. yeah. Like the joystick on the phone isn't, no. uh, isn't a great thing. I, no, I get, man. you know, the other, like last night I was getting, you know, dunked on by De'Aaron Fox basically. Oh, he was just blowing by me all the time. Oh man. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. It's, it's still, it's still pretty fun. You know, yeah. it's, you're not getting, the same experience as PC and console though. I mean, those are, those are the ultimate. <laughs> well, on um, today's show, man, um, we have lots of drama to talk about with James Harden. Uh, first, I'd like to thank uh, Greg Goods for joining the show. Really gave us a lot of great perspective from a Houston point of view in terms of how this trade with James Harden is going to affect the Houston Rockets. So really a big shout out goes to him. But I think during our conversation, we'll focus on a lot of the minutia in terms of egos and just where everything goes from here and uh, more details regarding which which each team gets because the indiana pacers were involved in this trade as well so we'll break all that down uh, matt you have your training topics going on in the nba as well uh, we'll touch on the nba postponing games due to covid and then some controversial comments from charles barkley so Let's hop into it and dis further discuss this James Harden trade. Um, I believe this was the same day as the president getting impeached. So it was just an insane news day all around. So like, you know, you know, paying attention to the news and then like the James Harden stuff does happen. It was just really, really in depth by this. And I want to break down what each team got and then get your opinion, throw you a little bit of a curveball regarding the 76ers because this was just discussed by Bill Simmons. I was just listening to him. So I want to get your uh, thoughts on that. But first, um, via ESPN, this is what each team got. So the Nets got James Harden, and uh, they got a 2024 um, second-round pick from the Cavaliers. The Rockets, in terms of players, they got Victor Oladipo, they got Dante Exum, and they got um, – Forgive me for mispronouncing his name, um, Radiance Crucus. If I mispronounce that, I incredibly apologize. Um, we have the picks to the Houston Rockets. Brooklyn's three unprotected first-round draft picks in 2022, 2024, and 2026 um, in the deal, plus pick swaps in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. Holy mackerel. And Milwaukee's <laughs> 2022 first-round pick via Cleveland. The Pacers get Karis LeVert from the Rockets via Nets, and then a 2023 second-round pick from the Rockets. And then the Cavaliers get Jared Allen, which is a big pickup. We talked about that with Greg earlier. And Cheron Prince from the Nets. So before kind of breaking down like the other ramifications from this trade, I want to break this down from a 76ers perspective because we've been harping on Ben Simmons, you know, all season long. Why didn't you think the 76ers weren't able to land this deal? Because Bill Simmons was basically stating that he was shocked that Brooklyn flew in the last minute and completed this. The 76ers were the front runners. What prevented Philly from completing this deal, you think? I don't know, because the reports that I read said it was a done deal. Like, Daryl Morey was shocked as well that this trade didn't go through in his favor. Like, he, he had already notified both Ben Simmons and um, uh, Thibault, uh, I can't remember his first name, forgive me. Um, he had notified both of them that they were getting traded to Houston. So you can imagine kind of maybe some of the adversity it might cause in, you know, previously a, a pretty volatile 
76ers locker room. Uh, so really, I have no idea. It must have been that the Nets just came through with this package and uh, the Rockets like the idea of getting Oladipo better than getting, um, getting uh, forgive me, Ben Simmons. Um, and I think maybe the thought, and my guess would be, that just the fit of Victor Oladipo on this roster, the Rockets like a lot better. We we had talked about last week, how are you going to pair Ben Simmons and John Wall together? You know, two guys that, that need the ball, two guys that are both playmakers, not really exceptionally great shooters, especially Ben Simmons. So from a roster standpoint, it does make a lot more sense from where I'm standing to get Victor Oladipo in as opposed to Ben Simmons. Um, so... So it could be that could also be uh, maybe the Rockets kind of feel like they, they don't want to try, you know, my proposed experiment of, of running Ben Simmons with four other guys and, and kind of letting him take the reins. Maybe they're not buying into that. I don't know. Did you read anything else about this whole situation? The main thing I saw was the whole kind of locker room fiasco that this might cause sure. um, or the, the shot to Ben Simmons and Thibault's confidence. Well, I think that's the main factor, right? Because all I hear is this guy's the next LeBron, and yet he's in trade rumors and almost got shipped to Houston. So to me, I think his shot is an issue, right? Like, I'm just kind of sick of all these comparisons to LeBron where we're seeing memes on him missing shots, missing an air ball for three-pointers, right? Like, if LeBron misses an air ball for three, whatever, it's usually like a LeBron hater, you know, whatever. But constantly it's this thing where either the guy hits his three first three-pointer when the season begins or like his shooting has just become a huge story and i think this trade doesn't help things and i am worried about his further development i just don't know him as like a lead player how people can really consider him a superstar it doesn't really make any sense as greg put it with james harden it's perfectly clear that he is a clear number two in this league, right? And I think with Ben Simmons, it's probably worse. He's probably, a, you know, a number three option in this league. I, I just, I don't see it. And talking to other journalists and, you know, people that are close to to the game that have far more knowledge than I do, it, it, no one's been able to really convince me otherwise so far. So I don't like his long-term future. I mean, it's a big thing where you, you're, you're almost traded and now you have to pretty much still play for this team that, you know, it, it kind of sounds like they portrayed you and you still have to put on a good performance and still be behind this team. And a team, by the way, that is in contention to win the East. I mean, they're they're a contender, right? They're a top four or five team in the East oh, yeah. during the season. So this is not a team in which it's a desolate situation. So I, I don't like Ben Simmons' future on that squad because of this we'll have to wait and see maybe he's more mature than i think he is but um i, I don't like his long-term um, future in that organization to his credit i think his response was really mature i mean he sure. kind of said like it is what it is when he had to address this with reporters i heard that and he too. came out and had a good game uh that next game in you know that you could see if it was really emotionally affecting him you you could expect a massive letdown uh he didn't let that happen so credit to him for that and, and i agree with you you know the the lebron comparisons i think were were definitely like 
season one and like as a rookie coming in, you're absolutely right that they're unwarranted. I mean, you could say like LeBron without the scoring maybe to get a little closer to that, but that that's such a departure. I mean, we, you know, LeBron may pass Kareem for the scoring championship. So exactly. just saying LeBron <laughs> minus the scoring, that, that's a pretty large gap that you are, sure. you are giving up there. I think the more apt comparison would be uh, Ben Simmons maybe compares uh, a, a lesser version of the the uh, Nets, the New Jersey Nets, Jason Kidd, I, I think would be a better comparison before he had later developed that three-point shot when he was on the Knicks and Mavs later on in his career. But yeah, you're right. I think there are there are going to be a lot of questions. And now, uh, you know, on on the flip side, to keep it positive, since, since I'm usually such a positive poly, um, <laughs> Ben Simmons might get the fire lit under him that he needs to really up his game. And, and, you know, yes, that is being very optimistic and he's got to prove that, but maybe he needs something to light that fire under him. Because, you know, if you think of when he played in Australia, when he played at LSU, I mean, everything was kind of handed to him on a platter. It was kind of, yeah, you're injured, but you're going to be the number one draft pick, you know, coming out of LSU. So maybe this is a turning point to see that, wow, I am a lot less valuable than James Harden. And I, I presumably want to be winning titles, being on first all NBA teams, you know, that level of a player based on the hype you had coming in. If you want to live up to that, you really need to put some work in. I mean, I think you and I are in total agreement that he's got a ton to prove and probably never will, unfortunately, live up to all the hype that he had coming in. You know, if, if you're talking about LeBron level hype, I mean, it's amazing that LeBron has lived up to the hype on on himself when he came into the league. Seems like Ben Simmons is going to fall short of that in my point of view. But, um, you know, if this is potentially a make or break season for Ben Simmons, because now you've almost gotten yourself off of this team down the road in the future, you might be traded to a non-contending team for pieces if things don't work out this year. Agreed. Um, shifting gears to Brooklyn and with Kyrie Irving, there's been a lot of controversy with him. He's a very polarizing player. A lot of people made a big deal with him spraying. What was it? not spraying, but how to describe it? I guess spreading sage. I don't know if you saw that oh, when yeah. he went back to Austin. I, I didn't understand what was the big deal about that. Like people are, I don't. People are like making it seem like that was a negative. I didn't understand that. And you know my beef with Kyrie Irving, but it just seems like with with the narrative, there's holding everything. I guess every little thing that he does, the holding it against him, even him appearing on that conference call with that, I think that district attorney in New York, which we, on a normal circumstances, you probably never hear about. And he'd probably be praised for at least being involved in the community, no matter what political spectrum you're on. Now it's just seen as, as, as a negative. So with Kyrie, I, I want to point, I want to ask you this question because I want to play devil's advocate here a little bit. You know, I've been a harsh critic of Kyrie's, but however, in, in one aspect, I, I understand his feelings of being unhappy in a workplace, especially with COVID, right? Like, and they were discussing Kyrie Irving on the Ryan Rossillo podcast, and they were kind of speculating as to why he's taking this um, absence from the team. And with Jackie McMullen, which I agree on, if he were to say, hey, I'm taking a leave of absence, the Capitol riot, 
everything going on. I just need some time to decompress. She said, and I agree with her, like, I, I would totally respect that. Take all the time you need. Like, I think a lot of the teammates would understand, like, everybody deals with stuff their own way. Like the death of Kobe Bryant. Like I never, I'm not, you know me, I'm not a Kobe fan per se. That really affected me. Like we're, I remember the day where we're having lunch, right? Like we're talking, that's all we talked about, you know, the day Mm -hmm. that he passed away and it, I was just heartbroken by it. I I, I didn't know it, it connected to me in a way that I didn't think it would affect me. So I understand somebody be being affected and not being able to perform their job and their minds need to be clear until they're they're able to perform my thing with Kyrie is just the lack of communication and his track record going all the way back to Cleveland and having everything really being set up for him to succeed so when he was drafted with the Cavaliers there was no LeBron and he got LeBron there was then there was an issue even though they won the title right he wasn't happy playing with him ultimately then he got Boston which is like okay two younger guys he's clearly the leader that doesn't work out. Brooklyn, okay, even before COVID, he could be, even before he got hurt, we're hearing about him with his t- issues with his teammates before. And then all of a sudden, we, there is this an issue, um, you know, he leaves the team. And I think he had a pretty solid game before he wasn't, uh, I guess, one, one of the things the NBA didn't allow him to come back because of NBA COVID protocol, but also him not coming back to the team as well. So, Ultimately, I don't know what is this going to take to make him happy. I, I don't understand. I think what Stephen has said, maybe it was a little bit too harsh. I'm not sure you heard what he said in terms of yeah. wanting him to retire. I think yeah. even you might have posted it in our, in our friend chat. But <laughs> I, for me, I think he's on to something. I don't really understand what else What else does he, he want. At the same time, his animosity towards the media I, I get it in terms of going back to Jackie McMullen on that podcast. They're referring to him, you know, as property in terms of McMullen having an argument with Kyrie Irving when Irving was playing for the Boston Celtics. And she, they got to the topic of the NBA draft and they alluded to the fact that, you know, Kyrie wants players to go to any team that they want without any restrictions. And what she was saying, like the NBA doesn't work like that. Like you are a, your your piece of property and i think while i might be harsh i think there's the truth to that in every sport i mean you are commodities on a chessboard your future is not being determined by the players certainly you have a lot of benefits in terms of fame money um living your you know having your life the rest of your life set um especially within the nba the pay that you're getting however the trade-off is is that your destiny it's not really controlled, but however, even in the NBA, we saw with James Harden, he got what he wanted, he got to leave, I mean, ultimately. And we've seen other players with same thing with Carmelo, like he wanted a trade, he was he ultimately got his choice. Like other players were able to, by not necessarily acting the right way, get what they want. Like even with Anthony Davis, right, he got what he wanted by leaving New Orleans, and it and it worked out. So I guess my 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 question is to you from a Kyrie Irving perspective not trying to really just crap on this guy but i don't understand what this is going to take to make him happy because he's been put in different types of scenarios in which he's been able he's been given a chance to succeed but there's an issue in every single way 
And it, at one way, it's like it's life, you know, like you're trying to find that perfect position, you know, in terms of maybe you're not trying to you're trying to get the job that you want. Right. And certain jobs don't work out. and It takes maybe eight or nine jobs until you get something that you're happy with. But in Kyrie, he likes playing basketball. I mean, this is his dream job. So I think with the teams, I, I don't understand what other scenarios does he want. And it's just I'm just very confused. I'm really trying to empathize towards him instead of just <laughs> attacking him and just labeling him as like a team killer. I just don't know what other scenario would be really suited for him because I don't, in my opinion, I just don't see this working with Kevin Durant and he, and James Harden with their usage rate and the way that they play and with Kyrie's mentality. I just see it blowing up in their faces, unfortunately. Well, what do you think? Yeah, I think Greg in our interview um, had, had a brilliant insight about that, that I totally agree with is that Kyrie doesn't know what he wants. Good he doesn't point. know what he wants. And, and when you don't know what you want, I, for anyone, I, I don't care if it's basketball or something else, you're not going to find happiness if you are constantly searching. Um, now, and, and I mean that as far as like having a target that you're moving towards. Sure. Because um, we're all searching for answers for different things, of course. And, and that yeah. doesn't necessarily make you unhappy. In fact, sure. very rewarding to search in, in some aspects, but Kyrie doesn't know what he wants. And, you know, I'll, I'll just be really blunt. Um, you know, certainly I I'm sympathetic when, when players have mental stuff going on, when players have stuff with their families going on, things like that, we're all dealing with different stuff during uh, this pandemic that stretched on far too long. Um, but you know, we, we just have such an evidence built up with Kyrie Irving that he really, is a chemistry killer anywhere he's gone. Yeah, I True. can't say otherwise. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk or anything. Um, but I, I just really, I don't know. Like I, I was Stephen A for those of you who didn't hear the clip. I mean, he, he basically just said, Kyrie, if your head's not in basketball, you should retire right now. I disagree. I think if a team is willing to pay you a max contract, you can play basketball as long as that team is, is willing to pay you, you know, um, is it fair to his teammates? No. And Kyrie is not a good teammate up to this point in his career, just not a good teammate. And that's why I have serious doubts about this Brooklyn team and their composition. I think, um, you know, certainly the offensive firepower, nobody's questioning that Kyrie has shown in fairness, like in the finals against the Warriors, he has shown that he can step it up on defense and take it to another level. Um, but these examples are, are few and far between. It's, it's been in those moments on the highest stage. So maybe there is like a playoff Kyrie that can go, go off a little bit more. Um, but, you know, I, I think when you're in a situation already that by default puts the ball in your hand less frequently – it's going to be really, really hard to build more chemistry that way. Now, he said on uh, January 6th, which, of course, was the events uh, that unfolded at the Capitol, he said he wasn't playing because he didn't feel like it. And it was just as simple as that. I didn't feel like that. I think everyone was kind of sympathetic to like, okay, we're all emotional. We're all pretty, pretty high strung right now, given the events that have happened, but um, to not communicate with Steve Nash, as you mentioned, to not communicate with the team moving forward and then to be seen at like a birthday party with family, um, which I, I'm not criticizing him for, 
for going to the party. But again, much like you said, the lack of communication is really problematic. So I don't know for myself, I was pretty done with Kyrie as, as far as uh, my belief in him as a leader when he left Cleveland and the way that that all went down. Um, and everything after that has just kind of reaffirmed that experience. I, I think, you know, Kyrie is a very smart person. A lot of people mock him in, in some ways. Um, you know, obviously there are like the flat earth comments and things like that, uh, which is debatable if you even believe that or not. Um, but I, I think he's a smart guy. I think he may have interests and talents in other areas in his life after the career, but I think he he does need to communicate with his team and get himself situated and get a game plan going as far as, you know, th this is the moment right here. We have James Harden just went off. Kevin Durant just went off in James Harden's de debut. So Kyrie, are you in or are you out? Yeah, I agree with you. And I think just seeing Harden and Durant mesh so well immediately it does put the focus on Kyrie Irving not being there. And with his personality, like you say, being a, you know, a chemistry killer, I can't really disagree with that. <laughs> I'm really trying to, to really uh, not be super harsh, but I think that the facts are there. I mean, this is un undeniable. And that's why I just don't see this team really coexisting. And I guess we can just hop into what are the expectations for this team? It seems like this is a greater scenario like we saw with um, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce and and how, you know, Boston gave up a lot for those guys. And, you know, you saw, you, you know, they gave those two guys up. They got a lot of picks they rebuilt. In Brooklyn, they sacrificed a lot for a long time. And it just seems like they have to win the title now or else this, this team's a failure. So do you see that? I mean, Greg alluded to if they played – LA, the Lakers in the finals and get bounced, is that going to be good enough considering these three guys? Or are they going to get a little bit of a pass because of COVID? I mean, is that going to play a factor into it where they might get a little bit of leniency because of these circumstances, because of COVID protocols, maybe another bubble situation, maybe not? Like, how much leniency do you think this team would get because of this time that we're in compared to if times were normal, they'd be no excuses but considering what the players have gone through as we outlined in our last show do you think the nets might be cut be cut a break from a media perspective in terms of their expectations if they don't win the title just considering what COVID has brung even you know with Kyrie Irving with this through I mean maybe the pandemic is affecting him more than most we just don't know right so do you think they might get a little bit of a pass with the expectations of this season, or do you think it's championship or bust and then they'll be seen as a colossal failure if they don't win it all this year? Championship or bust at the, at the moment. Um, you know, I, I think overall the media, this is a different topic, so I won't stay long here, but I think overall the media is actually really pretty nice and understanding to the players these days. I mean, the media oftentimes Seem, seems like fans, you know, like, like you and I are definitely hardcore NBA fans. That's why we do this podcast. seems like a lot of times the media, not to compare myself to, to them and someone with a journalism degree, but, but it does seem like in order to acquire contacts with these players, 
be close with these players, you're often pretty kind to these players. And, um, you know, that, that can lead. We've seen plenty of soft questions in post-game interviews and, and things like that. Uh, but I do think the Nets, by their actions in this trade and by selling away their future with all those first-round picks that are either swaps or just traded away outright, I mean, they, they really have made it about, you know, this, this is about the next three seasons if this team doesn't implode and come apart before that time. Um, that's, that's really the window we're looking at uh, to where, you know, if, if they don't get past the Bucks, which by the way, I think the Bucks are a much better constructed team at this point than the Nets. Uh, I know we have a lot of star power on this Nets team. We have a lot of offense, but I think the Bucks are better equipped to, to handle this team, to spread the ball in a way that they're used to and uh, to defend those star players from the Nets. So it wouldn't shock me at all if, if the Bucks were able to beat the Nets, if the Heat can get things together. It wouldn't shock me if they were able to give the Nets a run for their money. So I think the pressure is going to be very, very high. And if there is a tough media area on, on players, we know that at least traditionally in the past, it's been in New York. So can they handle that pressure cooker that is – the New York sports media, um, you know, all stuff that you and I have said plenty of times in, in our friends chat, That's true. you know, we're looking forward to seeing the show unfold. Um, I do think, you know, they have to be at least a top three favorite in the East, if not the, the outright favorite just with by the names that are on the roster, but I don't see anyone on this roster who's going to play defense. And, and we touched on that a little bit in the yeah. interview with Greg, but um, I don't know. Do you think that, um, that the media is going to be more or less, uh, merciful than than I described there. Uh, depends on who you talk to. Uh, mainstream media, so like your ESPN's talking heads, harsh. Um, the spotlight's going to be hot. So I, I think they're going to be overly critical of this team. I, I think journalists that are close, they're going to be more trying to understand what is the mindset of all three of these guys because it's a very volatile situation. And I agree with you to some point. I mean, we've seen journalists be – it kind of just depends on the journalists, right? Because there's somebody like a Jackie McMullen who's a veteran of these locker rooms, and yet she's been on record of having a contentious relationship with some of these players, even though, like, you know, they have biotile personalities themselves. But at the same time, you have younger journalists that are able to relate to these players a lot more. Um I bring up like a Malika Andrews, for instance. I think with her, she's able to connect with the players more because she's of a younger demographic. So she's maybe able to get more insight and ask maybe harsher questions. And it comes from a good place rather than a Jackie McMullen that she may not be able to relate to that generation. So I think it's going to be fairly interesting to see moving forward as we get more younger journalists and the writers that we've talked to, they, they are on the, they're on the younger side. I mean, we haven't talked to a, I think maybe uh, Ali Kosell, maybe it was somebody that a little bit on the older side of things. Um, no disrespect, I'm not saying he's old, but just in terms of kind of leaning into our generation, I mean, the people that we talked to, they're all, you know, around our age or younger. So the way you can relate to somebody, even if they're asking a harsher question, it, it might be different per se, 
even though you're on the media side. Um, to your defensive standpoint, I think you're right. I think we've talked about this with Greg, so we don't spend too much time. This team's not going to play any defense. And I think <laughs> even a team like Miami, um, and I, I forgive me, I don't know what their, their record is now, but if they're going to be in, in the four bubble, and seven. Okay. So let's just say they turn Still it around. Start. Yeah, and they've been hit with COVID as well. From what and injuries. Yeah, so let's say they're able to. I mean, get like seven, eight seed. They're going to be a highly dangerous team. And even if they're, if this, you know, if they get into the play-in tournament, I, I don't know how it's going to factor in. But hypothetical situation, if they're, you know, if just depending on the circumstances, let's say Brooklyn is one through three and Miami is six through eight, they end up playing each other. I mean, that is a highly dangerous game for the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, I would not want to see Miami. I'd rather play Milwaukee, to be honest. Um, just Spolstra just, versus Coach Nash. Yeah, and that's a good point. We saw that with just even last year with um, Budenholzer and with Spolstra, like in Spolstra's under Pat Riley. I mean, it's you can see the connection there. It's Spolstra's not a just his success is not a fluke. He knows what he's doing in there and seeing somebody like a Steve Nash, where everybody's like, yeah, he's a first year player and everything like strategy. It does play a lot adjustments, especially in the playoffs is critical um, compared to regular season game, which guys can flow. And it, I think coaching is less of a factor per se in the regular season, but in the playoffs, it's vital. And you're right. That's an excellent point where you're going to have guys that have never only played with each other for a certain amount of time facing a defensive locked team and a team with lots of confidence like Miami in which they don't care what seed they are. It doesn't really matter. There's no fans. Even if there's not going to be a bubble, there's not going to be that home court advantage. It's going to be irrelevant. I mean, they're a highly dangerous team. So I can easily see Brooklyn getting bounced in the second round or even in the first round if they, if they play Miami. And that's my danger of them, you know, from a defensive standpoint, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm. It's if I'm a Brooklyn fan, I'm very nervous. I mean, I kind of like it. If I'm, you know, you're getting all these star players at the same time in terms of continuity, in, in terms of meshing. I don't like their their future uh, moving forward. And I want to pass you this question from a Kevin Durant standpoint. How do you think he'll react to this in terms? of one Kyrie not just being on the team. And then two, you know, again, he left Golden State because it was Steph Curry's team. And also with shots too, right? You had Clay Thompson. He needed his shots. You needed Steph Curry. He needed his shots. Everybody had to sacrifice. In this situation, I'm sure in his mind, even though I heard reports that he wanted James, I'm sorry, he wanted James Harden. How do you think he's going to really adjust to this? Because he he's basically in the same situation he was before in Golden State. So, I don't know how it's going to play out any differently. What are are your thoughts on that? Well, if this team's going to be successful, KD is the rock of this team. KD is the foundation of this team. And and I think that does hold true. I I do expect him to be that. He's shown, like in Golden State, that he can collaborate. He can work with other players. He, He doesn't care about taking a ton of shots. He really, I believe, sincerely just cares about getting the win. Uh, so I expect that to continue. Um, I, I'm just worried about Harden and I'm worried about Kyrie. I think Harden coming in, obviously there's, there's motivations there that just from getting traded, he wants to prove himself. He wants to, uh, show himself off, um, and contend for that title now, since he hasn't, he hasn't done that yet. Um, 
So I think there's clear incentives for Harden. We already touched on Kyrie a ton. I mean, that, that's really the big question mark on this team, if if you're asking me. But I, I think KD is is going to be the top dog and the leader of this team just fine. Um, so I, I don't have any doubts as, as far as it goes um, on his end of things. Um, I want to touch on the ratings, and then if you have any more points, we can touch on that, and then we can move on. Um, you mentioned in terms of, from a ratings perspective, you know, Brooklyn – they were already, I think, a hot team just because, you know, you have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant um, adding James Harden. That's going to add a lot to things. I think to your question, will this be kind of the blockbuster team for the East? I thought they're already kind of the team to watch anyway from a drama perspective. So I don't know if James Harden is necessarily going to change that necessarily. Um, I I guess to your point, I don't know if it's going to have too much of an effect just because Brooklyn was already a watch team there. I guess I want to ask you, and this is kind of going into a different topic, you know, James Harden's weight's been made into a big issue. And in the beginning of the season, his stats weren't really affected by it, despite how he looked from a, you know, aesthetically point of view, but his stats did go down when, you know, he wanted to leave Houston. So do you think that's, I mean, I've been getting memes left and right about this guy's weight ever since (laughs) this season started. It was the opposite when the bubble started because it was him, you know, getting in really good shape. We touched on that when the bubble resumed in in the summertime. So I guess I want to ask you, do you think that's fair game to kind of make fun of him because of that? Even though, like, I don't think it's his performance necessarily affected by that. I mean, he just wanted to leave, so... And now he's we've seen like he hasn't gotten skinnier yet. He had a great performance in, you know, against the Atlanta Magic. So do you think his weight should be a factor when we're viewing him and judging him through the rest of the season? Well, let me put it this way. He's he's gonna have time during the regular season to play himself into better shape uh for the playoffs to get around. So he's got time, especially with depleted rosters and postponed games that we'll get to and, and things like that. He does have time. Uh, and yeah, certainly, I mean, just because he he gained a little extra weight doesn't mean he forgot how to score the basketball. Uh, in my opinion, just as a professional athlete, if, if you show up for the start of the season, especially for a new coach like Coach Silas is for the Rockets and you're out of shape and not ready, um, I mean, it would, it would be the same as you or I not showing up ready for our job. Um, and it's, it's different in that obviously you're not getting paid doctor or anything like that, or getting a performance review. Although I guess maybe you could uh, consider the, the, all the memes going around and stuff like that. Maybe that's the performance review is public perception. I don't know, but uh, everyone knows, you know, fans are, are brutal. So some of that just kind of, you know, you shrug off and, and you perform. I mean, the, the fact that he got a 32 point triple double in his debut in the nets tells me that, he can turn it on when he wants to, to be where the nets need him to be for the playoffs, where he's going to need to play on both sides of the ball. If they're going to be successful. Yeah. I do think he needs to be in better shape. Um, so I don't know if that really answers the question about, is it, is it fair in terms of weight, but that that's just kind of how I look at it. Um, I think when you're a professional athlete, um, you know, you, especially in, in basketball where, it's, it's very run dominated. I, 
I think I've seen the average on step tracing, say these guys run anywhere up to like five miles over the course of a game, depending on how many minutes they're playing. And obviously he's on the higher end of minutes. So yeah, conditioning is absolutely very important um, because if, if his conditioning is down, he might still be able to put up these 30 point triple doubles, but then what's happening on the defensive end. That's usually where we see for, for a player, a star player like James Harden, that's usually where we see things uh, back off when someone isn't in great conditioning. So, so definitely, yeah, he needs, he needs to work into a little bit better shape still, but you know, I, I don't think we're seeing at this point with the inconsistencies on who is on a roster on any given night, he's got a window of time where he's going to look okay while he shares that up. Gotcha. Um, Was there anything else related to the James Harden trade you wanted to touch on before we move on? Man, just, uh, just a quick note. We don't, we don't have to, um, you know, focus on this entirely, but man, the Cavs props to them for sneaking in, throwing in a first round pick to get Jared Allen. I mean, what, what a get for very, very little investment. Uh, Just, Snuck in there, got him. Now there's rumors because uh, I don't know if you saw, but Nurkic broke his wrist uh, for the oh, Trailblazers. Wow. Oh, now geez. there's rumors that they're going to be trying to acquire JaVale McGee or one of one of Cleveland's centers. So they certainly have now like three or four uh, decent centers in Cleveland, and you don't need that many in the NBA yeah. these days. So, uh, But great young piece for them to build around if they decide to – uh, ship JaVale McGee out to Portland or, or something along those lines. So just wanted to point in that, um, you know, very, very opportunistic and um, a great get by Cleveland. Totally. And I like the um, fit the Oladipo pickup for the Houston Rockets as Me well. Me too. Uh, I think it. that's, that's going to be really prove dividends. And I think um, Greg's opinion on how they're going to perform the rest of the season might seem overly optimistic, but I don't, I don't see it that way. I think, they're going to be a really formidable team. And I think with Boogie too, I, I know he had some harsh comments about James Harden when he left. So I think now that there's that baggage is gone, they're able to really reform this team to have all those picks. I think the future is, is definitely bright with this team because it's been stuck in this rut with James Harden for so long. Now they can finally move on. They can actually see, Hey, is John Wall and Boogie and Oladipo actually a nucleus we can build on, or we can just get rid of them and build for the future? They're really put in a nice position, I think. Yeah, and and those comments by Boogie, which he he was saying, I didn't come to Houston to play with James Harden. I came to Houston to play with John Wall. Uh, that's really like a rallying cry for the Rockets fan base. I, sure. I think you've now given Houston fans something to look forward to in like the development of Christian Wood, but now also what can we do um, now that James Harden is gone? You know, they, they have like kind of a mission for this season. Now, nobody expects them to be a very high seed in the West, certainly, but if they can, you know, sneak into the six, seven or eight seed, um, I, I think it'll be a pretty feel good season overall for the Rockets knowing, or at least assuming that brighter, horizons are on the way with christian wood and his development which he looks fantastic agreed um let's move on and uh, matt if you don't mind kind of touch on some trending topics and standings the james harden trade dominated the news but doesn't stop um teams still competing what's what do you notice so far in the league this week yeah so just to update you guys as as we'll do weekly here um, when you are looking at the Western Conference for this past week, the Lakers coasted winning five games. They've won their last five. Um, 
the Jazz have won their last four. Grizzlies have won their last four. Clippers have won their last three. Um, trending downwards, uh, the Pelicans are now in 13th place. They're in 10th place last week, and uh, they have lost their last five games. So things are looking pretty bad in New Orleans. It's looking like it's going to be more like a player development type of year than, than an actual competitive basketball year, unfortunately. We'll see if they can turn it around, of course. Uh, also should know, just because you and I talk about the Nuggets so much, uh, they have started to right the ship. I believe they're sitting at the eighth seed in the West right now. They've won six out of their last 10 games. So winning record in the last 10 games, at least. Looking at the East, we have trending up. Boston has won their last five. Milwaukee has won their last four. Brooklyn has won their last three. Trending down, the Knicks, who, as you probably remember, were off to a hot start. They've lost their last five, coming back to earth a little bit. The Bulls, sorry, Justin, have lost their last four. And the Magic have lost their last five. They won today. Chicago did. Oh, there we go. Okay. We'll scratch that. They just won one. They lost four before that. They're still trash. But (laughs) (laughs) But hey, at least least that streak is over. Breathe breathe a sigh of relief. So (laughs) that's what's been going on on the courts around the league the past week. We'll keep updating you guys on that each week. Um, Pretty much no uh, huge overall impressions. I mean, the main thing that remains a constant is the Lakers are just coasting. I mean, they're 11 and three right now, top of the West. Uh, really kind of reminds me of, you know, like a Bulls or a Heat in the top of the East and, and how much separation there was between them. Like in the early 2010 years when LeBron went to Miami, uh, it was always Chicago and Miami at the top. The, the Lakers have that separation here in the West. Uh, next closest team would be the Clippers. They're a couple games back. Uh, a thing that'll be interesting, and this maybe leads into our next topic, but um, it's it's going to be weird and wonky in the standings since with these games being postponed, not every team is going to finish with the same amount of games completed. It's, it's looking more and more clear that that's the way things are going to develop. So that's going to be kind of confusing looking at playoff standings by win percentage. Uh, we did have that last year with the bubble situation and all that. So not terribly unfamiliar, but uh, it's still going to look a little wonky compared to an average pandemic free season. Yeah, I get it. Cause you know, look at the national championship game was played over um, this past week and I, I watched maybe like five minutes of it and the team's records were so drastically different so i'm like, like you just really you can't get a beat on what's really going on so i totally feel you on that um a couple more points we can just touch on this because i think we had a longer discussion last week yeah. 13 games uh, postponed uh, just because of covid um the nba and nba pa met to establish a stricter guidance do you ultimately think that this might lead to more positivity in terms of less games being postponed or do you think we're just going to end up being dealing with this until we get to a bubble situation or a lot more people just generally are vaccinated in the United States? Well, the main changes that they made were um, shortening the windows of shoot around times, meeting times. They're also doing, uh, sorry, but for me, the, the protocol while everyone's on court after everyone's been tested is really confusing to me uh, and, and really confusing from an optic standpoint when you have, you know, 10 players playing on the court, physical contact basketball, uh, and then you have players on the bench wearing masks, but then they can sub in, but then players that are coming in from having just played 
take off their, or they have their masks off and sit down on the bench. And then when they catch their breath, they put their mask back on or sometimes not at all. So they, they kind of made another, just, just to fill you guys in, if you didn't read the guidance um, now there's an, a designated area to the, the far end of the bench, I believe, or maybe even off to the side further than that, where players will be subbed out. They will go, it's kind of a cool down area, catch your breath. Um, and then once you're ready to mask, go back on the bench with your teammate. Um, I, I don't think that provision specifically will help um, all that much um, just because these guys are still playing on the court unmasked. Um, and COVID has proven to be so very, very contagious that I, I don't blame the NBA either. I'll, I'll stay consistent with what I've said all along. I, I think they are doing the best they can. That Greg said similarly, um, they're doing the best they can. But, you know, COVID is, is just a tricky, um, not going to swear here, but, <laughs> but you can get where I'm going with that. Um, so I think the NBA is doing a good job with this. Maybe the the stricter meeting times will help and the, the shortened meeting times, like no longer than 10 minutes for the team to be all in together for uh, pregame discussion, things like that, I, I do think could potentially help. Uh, but ultimately, this is just a very, very contagious virus, uh, so much more contagious than, than the flu. Um, and I, I think we're just seeing the results of that. I think, again, like what I said last week, it's going to be another month or two, I think, of, of very bumpy scheduling and, and postponing of games, things along those lines. And then the vaccine will roll out. Um, it'll eventually make its way to the players. And I, I do think that before the playoffs, we'll have this reined in a little bit more. I, I do find it interesting maybe going to a, a bubble situation once playoff basketball starts. Um, I don't know if financially the NBA wants to find themselves in that position, but I think that just depends on how how much further we go with having games being postponed. If it's coming right up against the playoff time, then maybe the bubble is something they consider in spite of the financial loss that would cause. I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts on um, COVID, I guess? <laughs> Not much. Um, I only add, you know, to your point, it was I agree with you. It's really confusing when you, before players were able to hug and dab each other at the end of the games. That doesn't really make any sense. I think they got rid of that. I'm not too sure, but to, to your point, that's just really confusing, right? Everybody's wearing masks, you're trying to avoid contact, and yet they can do whatever after the game. It's just awfully strange. So I just think it has to be a little bit consistent. And they all have tested negative before right. the game. So, yeah. um, I mean, the, the testing isn't a hundred percent accurate. No, yeah. no test is virtually, but, um, yeah, it, it does to me anyway, it, it creates a very confusing situation for sure. That's all I'll say about that. Um, let's move on to our last topic and that is Charles Barkley, <laughs> um, always in the news for his comments and he was on inside <laughs> the NBA and basically stated that he thinks NBA and NFL players should receive the COVID vaccine. Um, earlier because they pay way more taxes than the average citizen. Here's his direct quote. He said, quote, 3 million, excuse me, 300 million shots. Give 8,000 to some NBA players, NFL players, hockey players. Listen, as much tax as these players pay, they deserve some preferential treatment. Um, just my thoughts real quick. I spent <laughs> too much time on it. I don't understand his thinking. I understand. One part of me, I understand where he's coming from. At the other part, I really don't. I think because of the way this vaccine has been rolled out, 
the pressure should be on frontline workers and the elderly who need it first. And until that's squared away, there shouldn't be even other thoughts given it to normal citizens. And I think to me, um, something like the entertainment field, I think sports is under that umbrella. And I think until we have the frontline workers, police, firemen, health, um, I would say teachers. I think my dad got the vaccine because he volunteers at the VA. Everybody under that umbrella, I think, should be covered first before you even talk about athletes. Very similarly to the, the COVID testing, right? Like by the time the NBA was rolling out, I believe, when did the bubble start? Like July, I would say? June? Yeah. Yep. June-ish. Um, so July. Mm-hmm. Early July. Okay. Like testing was starting to be rolled out. And I think there's at least we're at least a couple of months of at least testing. And I think with the vaccine should be very similar. Once I think we're hitting that, what, 2 million doses per day goal, I think then we can start rolling the vaccine out to the NBA, other entertainment venues, television shows, movie sets, et cetera. And not only just the actors, but also the people that work on those sets as well. And I think with the NBA, it shouldn't just be the athletes getting the vaccine. It should be, um, the strength and conditioning coaches, the regular coaches, people working concessions, et cetera. So everybody's covered under that umbrella. So I don't at just the his logic of this, like, you know, them paying taxes, like Kenny Smith had a good point. You're getting to down my line of thinking is pretty much getting to your point of if you pay more money than somebody else, you should get preferential treatment. And that just shouldn't be the way it should work. So I, I strongly disagree with Charles Barkley on that statement. What, what do you think? Yeah, it surprises me. I mean, Charles Barkley, you know, he he says inflammatory things from time to time. It's part of the reason we love Chuck. Uh, yeah. But I, this strikes me as something, a, a statement that he just kind of threw out there and really didn't think it through before saying it because I, it's he has a very, you know, kind of old school mentality. Again, part of the reason I love him. Um, and And this is a weird way of thinking. I mean, I, I don't have too much to add to what you said there. I, I think that's correct. I mean, uh, if if anything, NBA staffers should um, be getting the vaccine before the players. Uh, when you think of like the age of the coaches and that potentially being a risk factor or potentially staff that is, you know, obese. We know obesity is, is a very prevalent risk factor for COVID. Um, so you would think that most likely staffers would need the vaccine uh, in terms of like looking at this from who is at the greatest risk. Players are pretty, pretty low on that list when you consider, you know, age ranges, you know, just to very generalize, there's older and younger, but, you know, 25 to 35 in kind of that bracket or, or even go 20 to 35, let's say is, is kind of the average age or even push that out to 20 to 40 still case would be that they're in a very, very low risk category in, in terms of how they're going to respond and, and fight off COVID. Obviously, we don't want anyone getting sick, but when we're when we're looking at rationing this vaccine out and who needs it the most, I mean the players are honestly pretty low on that that totem pole. I do I do think that um, you know having said that, I think the players are going to be vaccinated before the playoffs. I I see that as a very, very real possibility but you know we'll we'll see what happens but to your point i i agree it should be the elderly and then we go down in in 10-year bracket intervals and then it should be those those frontline workers that are very very highly exposed to this yeah agreed 
Um, anything else you wanted to touch on before we say goodbye this week? Man, great episode. Fun talking about this this massive trade. I think I am spent. It's been fun. <laughs> it has. Um, and we have a long library of um, interviews on our YouTube channel and on our podcast feed. Just uploaded the interview I did with um, the Athletic Toronto's Blake Murphy. He covers the Toronto Raptors. Great insight with him going actually into Tampa just to cover the Raptors had a very lots of insight regarding that. And we have our plethora of interviews with Chris Manning and Ben Lyons and just for the rest of our kind of library of interviews, even our last dance interviews, go check that out. If you want to um, relive that, I think the one year anniversary of that documentary is coming up, I believe in April. So that time flies. So um, certainly check that out. If you haven't seen that last dance documentary, we did a full episode recap of that. Get in touch with the show through email. It is hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We're available on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And we're available on your podcasting platforms. Please check us out. So for Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. Have a great week and we'll see you next time. Peace.